Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the Barely Bookish Podcast. We have a lot of exciting things happening. So first off, if you did not hear, we will be having the pa- uh, first Patreon-exclusive episode coming out on April 2nd. It'll be comparing 1995 versus 2005, the Pride and Prejudice movies. It'll be with Amanda Faye, who was our guest for Pride and Prejudice. It's going to be a lot of fun, so please be sure to check that out. Um, subscribe over on patreon.com slash barelybookish or go to barelybookish.com slash connect and all my links are there. Um, it's really good, so I hope you all enjoy it and it'll be coming out on April 2nd. Also, next week we will be talking about Sense and Sensibility, so if you want to make sure that you can read it, all that good stuff, please um, read it ahead of time so then you don't get spoilers. And I think that's all I got to say up in this intro. I hope you all enjoy the episode. Hey, hi, hello, everyone. Uh, We are back with another episode of Barely Bookish, and this time we are going to discuss the trash fire that is the the 1984 movie that came out in 1984, uh, directed by Michael Radford. We're watching that one with John Hurt. I know why I recognize John Hurt. Isn't he the one that plays the dragon in um, The Hobbit? Possibly. Wait, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. John Hurt... John Hurt's one of the doctors. Hold on. From Doctor Who, isn't he? Because I think the dragon's actually um, Benedict Cumberbatch. He's in Merlin. He's the dragon in Merlin. <laughs> he is not in The Hobbit. That was me thinking of Merlin, putting him in, putting Merlin in The Hobbit. That's what happened there. Um, okay. Yeah. That, that version of 1984, the movie, is what we just witnessed. Um and we're coming fresh out of that. Also, I didn't introduce you. Nicole is recording again with me. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I, I just got majorly distracted by seeing the name John Hurt. How do I not even recognize him throughout the entire movie? It's just I'm going through and I'm like, oh, yeah, we watched the one with Michael Radford or directed by Michael Radford. And then I'm like, John Hurt, John Hurt. How do I? And then that happened. So. All righty. <laughs> Anyways, moving right along. It's trash crazy uh, horrific yeah movie (laughs) just going right into it first off i just have to say if you have not read the book there's no way you can watch this movie and know what's (laughs) going on i was just about to say that i was gonna say read the book first if you really know like i so before i even picked which movie version we're gonna watch because there's like a couple different versions this one, they said, was the best version of 1984. So I was like, okay, you know, if we're going to watch one, we should probably watch the best of the best. Like, you know, I can rag on a bad movie all day long. But, like, ragging on a good movie, that's where you get quality content, you know? And if this is the best they have to offer, whoa. Just... 7.1 out of 10. Yeah. Well, that is what they rated it. It's rated very well for no reason. Literally, uh, for all our uh, auditory listeners, uh, which is the only way you can actually listen to this, Nicole just did a uh, throw up mouth emoji face, basically with her face. Um, it was so bad. 
bad. Like, I can't, I can't even say it was directed badly, but like, it was just, it was gray. Yeah. Like the only color is navy blue and green. Those are the only colors in the movie, and red. Yeah. Those are it. Those are the only three colors in the movie. But I mean, it is a representation of the book, so he did the the director did that very well. But my the biggest grief I have with it being a bad movie is the fact that if you did not read the book, there's no way you'd understand no this way. movie. Absolutely there is no, no detail. There's it gives you nothing. Like I I knew what was going on because I read the book. But had I not read the book, I would be so confused. So if you've never read the book, well, you listen to this podcast, so you'd already know. I just kind of want to know what people's opinions are, having never read the book, what they thought of this movie, because there's no way that I could even vaguely think you would understand what's going on. And if on. you happen to watch two versions of the movie, let us know which version you think is best, because the yeah. first one we watched is complete crap. I have no clue how it got 7.1 stars out of I know. Literally. We'll talk about our issues with the movie as we go into it but like our uh wonderful book episodes and if you've been following along with this podcast we are going to go pretty in depth on this movie so if you want to watch that version of the movie first please make sure you do so and then come join us back and enjoy it with us and we can just talk trash and you know what you will enjoy us talking trash because it's it's just something else it is truly something else it's gonna be a lot of trash talk happening right now It's going to be probably one of the most in-depth, interesting, <laughs> trash-talking conversations like, you'll hear. Okay, so the 1984 movie that I watched, and I recorded um, previous to this, so it'll air previous to this going live. The 1984 movie improved upon the book. The book was subpar, I will be honest. And then the movie, not 19... I'm meaning... Fahrenheit 451 is what I meant to say every time I said 1984. I was gonna say, yeah. uh... (laughs) Fahrenheit 451. I'm getting confused because these are very similar um, modernistic books basically. Um, So they feel very much the same. But they basically are just, both of those movies are just uh, I mean, both of those books are just awful. So the Fahrenheit 451 movie ended up improving upon the book itself and made it seem more realistic and brought it up to the modern day. Whereas the movie for 1984 kept it very thrown into the past, like very much so. Like they did not try and, you know, bring it up to date and keep the same concept, which they, I think they definitely could have. They were like, we'll take your technology from the 1940s and keep it there Uh whereas that movie the fahrenheit 451 was like okay you know this is supposed to be futuristic to from when it was written so we will keep that concept bring it forward and i just i don't know it's not good it's not good no (sighs) okay we'll get into it we're gonna break down more of everything but let's just get into it so immediately as soon as the movie starts it starts with the mantra that we keep hearing over and over again like the freedom is slavery blah 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 mantra that they keep repeating back to us all the time Mm -hmm. 
So that starts right off the bat. And then opera music starts playing. And as soon as this opera music plays, I, I'd say to Nicole, I'm like, I immediately thought they were going to say the hills are alive. Like every time I hear opera music, I'm going, the hills are alive. And I'm like, okay. Sound of music. Literally every single time. And like, I have not watched, like I've seen parts of the sound of music enough you to have know. have not seen the sound of music? I find, I know like every time it comes on, I leave. Like, I've seen parts of it. You're going to have to watch the sound of music. I know I'm going to have to watch it, but I don't. It's like I've never seen. Um, I know. I know. I'm gonna make you. <laughs> I never saw the Go- Gone with the Wind, which is why I ended up reading it. Mm-hmm. Terrible, terrible book. It's awful. And everyone's like, it's an American love story. This podcast, every time I bring up Gone with the Wind, it's me ragging on with Gone with the Wind. Okay, so then they go and they're watching. You know the hate speech. But, like, the week of hate apparently doesn't exist. Like, the two-minute hate is apparently every single person gathered in a movie theater for some reason. I don't understand what's going on with that. Like, they did not explain anything. They're just watching one of the hate videos, you know? And then everyone crosses their wrists and holds their arms up, which I'm like, what's going on here? Like, that didn't happen. And then they start shouting big over and over and over and over again. And then we also need to talk about how the insignia for Ingsong, Ingsong, yeah, is Ingsong, whatever it is, is a V. Why? <laughs> Why? There's no V in that at all. And also sense. their big brother, shouldn't it be a B? Yeah. What's the V for? Vendetta. But I mean, what's the V? <laughs> um... I haven't seen that movie either. Victorious what? victory. Is it? It might be for oh, victory. Gin. Victory gin, victory this, victory that. So it has to be vic- it has to stand for victory. That makes sense. That would make sense. I hey, yelled at the microphone today, now. but <laughs> um. we've been sitting here during the entire movie contemplating what the hell why is there a v why is there a v and it just clicked with me <laughs> according to my last recording of the bloopers of the movie um that is two hours i've been wondering why there's a v in a song so <laughs> problem and mystery solved <laughs> you know literally here we go um so they do that weird arm crossing thing and Which then is- that's weird, considering, like, it, it makes an X at that point. Yeah. Not a V. I mean, I guess you could see the V in it, but it still makes an X. Yeah, I have no idea what's happening. It's very weird. So then the cubicles are even worse than I imagined them to be. And the computer screen backgrounds are all Big Brother's face. It's so weird. It is so weird. Every single screen. Every single screen in this movie has that creepy man's face on it. And I could have sworn that in the book they were just blank when nothing was happening. I don't know. It was, it was, uh, at this point, I don't even, (laughs) I don't even know anymore. But I think you're, I want to say you're right that they were blank. But never once was a screen blank in this movie. And like everything's dirty. Everything. And it's run down and it's gross you know like when in the mo- in the book i imagined the place being run down mm-hmm. you know but i didn't imagine the place looking 
all, the entire place, not even yeah. like showing the other buildings, you know, the entire place looked like a war zone. Yeah. Like and nobody the, cleaned up. My understanding was that no war was supposed to ever come to the inner city at all, like mm-hmm. where they live. Like that was my entire understanding, you know? So I was very confused as to why exactly the entire place was decrepit mm-hmm. because you know, if you're running and like all these people are supposed to be working in like um, ministry official jobs. So I don't understand why their workplaces would be as dirty as they are, but yeah. also the pollution factor probably plays a, um, because everything's burned with fire. So yeah. that probably plays a factor into why everything's dirty because it's like the smog that comes out of those little vent things. The yeah. mind holes? Is that what they're called? But even, like, even the furniture and the way it was set up. Like, yeah, and the buildings it crumbling. Was, it was very, very industrialized. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like a, a governmental official building. Oh, it no. just, it seemed very, very industrialized. Yeah, for sure. It was just very gross. Completely opposite of what I thought yeah. based on the book. Yeah, me too. I I thought it was going to be like very much a um office building and it was not. Like it was like it looked like I know his home was kind of decrepit. Mm-hmm. You know, cuz he they stated that that they didn't live in such great conditions and the apartment building they lived in, you know, like yeah. I knew his home wasn't great, mm-hmm. but the building that he worked in, in the books, they made it seem like a white marble, you know, like yeah. gorgeous, like state capital kind of building, mm-hmm. you know? So the fact that they're working in a very industrialized building and it's nowhere near like elegant, like they stated in the book, it's just odd. Yeah, I know. I was pretty confused about that. Um, and then Winston, you know, throwing that piece of paper into the, I think it's called the mind hole, but I already forgot. I truly thought it was going to get his hand burned off. Like the flames come out of that thing. I was like, <laughs> yeah. okay. It's like a little desk furnace. I know. I'm like, how are you guys not sweating? Like at all, all times. I would be ex- absolutely sweltering because that little furnace is constantly running. You know, it's not just like it turns on when he opens the thing. As far as I know, it's like, geez, it almost like it almost feels like it does because as soon as he puts the paper in it, like you see all the flames, you know. Yeah, maybe it does. It's, it's when he opens it. just weird. Yeah. So then we get to see Winston's house, and his house literally has a loose, a single loose brick conveniently located next to the chair that's supposedly out of the view of the um, telescreen, which I could have sworn he was putting it in a drawer in the actual... No, I could have sworn he was putting it in a desk drawer in the in the book as well. Yeah. I thought that his desk was down like a hallway-looking thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of like down a little hallway. Yeah. You know? And can we also bring up that goddamn telescreen was the size of like a projecting screen? Yeah, it was a giant huge. projector. Like, it was ginormous. I know, and I thought it was going to be, like, small, thick back, you know, old-style TV was my envisioning. And this thing is, like, covering the wall, you know? Like, it is absolutely huge. I I don't think, because in the prison they say that it's covering each wall, 
But I don't think the ones at like people's normal home are I supposed know, to be like, that big. Like I thought they were just like little, little ones, like you saw in the hallway by the elevator. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they had like the little telescreen, you know, like the little ones or the ones at their desks where they're working. Yeah. You know? But you, he goes home and there's this massive projector sized screen. It's crazy. The thing had to have been like five feet by like eight feet. I mean, it was huge. I know it was absolutely gigantic. And then my other thing was, is that his location of that chair is so obvious if anyone was to look in that house. So it's like, uh, you cannot think that they would, you know, somehow mistakenly not see it because it is so absolutely gigantic there's no way like it is so blaringly obvious you know so i was just like do you think when they were building it they didn't go hey look let's put this loose brick right next to this you know Uh i don't know it just seemed very very obvious in the movie where i don't think it was that obvious in the book yeah no i I agree he legitimately thought he was getting away with it. And, like, throughout this whole movie, Winston was being so very obvious that he was not loyal. Like, so absolutely he was obvious. Such He was so weird. Mm-hmm. He was very, very weird the entire... From the first second. Yeah. He was just odd. Yeah, so I am just not sure how we're supposed to be surprised that he gets, um, you know, caught... Uh-huh. from the uh, thought police because he's just so obviously a thought criminal. He's like not looking at the screens. He's looking at Julia. He's looking at everybody else. He's not clapping when everyone's do- doing it. And like in the book, he's trying very hard to blend in. This movie, he's like, ah, I don't need to blend in. They're not that bad. Like, buddy. Yeah. What? He's kind of all over the place, this man. Literally. So then... After that, in the movie, they're calling everyone brothers and sisters instead of comrades. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, why that change? I don't even think he said sisters. Did they say sisters? I she thought says, it was only brother. No, she said brother and sister when they all started working out in the morning. Because okay. that's when I wrote the note. Like, okay. he, but he never refers to Julia as sister. But mm-hmm. Julia always refers to him as brother. Mm-hmm. She, he literally doesn't refer to Julia a single time, actually. No, he, he just doesn't. starts talking to her. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <sighs> so that happened. And I really thought that in the movie, or in the book, he was supposed, Winston was supposed to be more of a heavy set guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's supposed to have a bad knee. He's supposed to be kind of like, I thought, heavier set. Um, and just really... So, I thought he was going to be the size of what Mr. Parsons was. Yeah. You know, Mr. Parsons was a more heavier set man. I thought Winston was going to be around that size. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I thought, too. So, you know, they show up this, like, lanky man, and I'm like, what are we... What's happening here? Because this is not who I thought this was supposed to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he looked like the after product. Yeah. So, that was a thing um so then you know we flash forward this whole movie very quick pace 
Oh my gosh, it it was so quick paced. Yeah, like everything was jump, 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 like hit all the uh, good bits and leave everything else out, basically. Well, not even that, because even some of the good bits were left out. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of like, okay, this is what happened at this point. This is what happened at this point. Mm -hmm. Here's what happened at this point. It's it's done. Yeah, like I feel like they had a to-do list. They did the to-do list and then they did not fill anything in after correct like it felt like an outline of a movie like i don't like movie like book to movie adaptations where you can't go see the movie if you haven't read the book yeah because i feel like what's the point then uh-huh. you know you sh- they should both be freestanding and this is not a freestanding movie in my opinion no it's definitely not and i just didn't like that so then they get to the cafeteria <laughs> and you know this cafeteria scene is basically like out of order because in the cafeteria, they're supposed to go to the cafeteria a couple times. They only go once, right? Did they go twice? I don't know. But they get to the cafeteria and they are served lumpy, lumpy soup with things that look like meat, but is not meat. And also gin in the cafeteria at work. They get to drink at work. And, like, I vaguely remember them drinking gin, but I kind of thought they were eating out. Like, I didn't put two and two together. They were eating at, like, the work cafeteria. Well, not only that, no. So here's my thing. I thought they were just bringing their own gin in, like, a Mm -hmm. flask or something. They literally buy gin at the jailhouse window-looking thing. Yeah. And they bring it to their table. Yep. They They literally buy it right there. Yep. At work. I know. I was confused. And I'm like, is that a very 50s thing? Like, I I know you were allowed to have a drink during lunch at work, but I don't think they served it at work. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, yeah, that happened. Um, And then we get to see Winston writing in his diary and then vividly see the prostitution scene. Yes. For those of you who uh, are under the age of 18... This is definitely a rated R movie. Yeah. Trigger <laughs> warnings for everyone. Um, You know, just the same with the book. This is very graphic. So you get to see um, murder. Um, lots of death. Mm. And... Nudity. Nu- lots of nudity. I don't know if you need a trigger warning for nudity, but like if... just in You case, do don't... see in some of that yeah. first scene. <laughs> yeah. Triggered. <laughs> I know, I was so confused. Um, but yeah, there's a, a lot happened. Uh, rats, I guess you need a trigger warning for rats, and also torture. We'll throw that in there as well. Um, yeah, this movie, it's they use their full credentials of rated R. Like they were like, oh, we got the rated R title, Probably whatever you can, yeah, everything, absolutely everything. They were like, we'll hold nothing back. Nothing gets left to the imagination here. They really push their limits with it. Yeah. And then so turns out that Ogilvy, um, he's Winston's back at work. He's rewriting all the reports. And Ogilvy was a name provided to him. He did not make it up in this movie. And I don't know why they changed that small detail, but they did for some reason. No. It was weird. Yeah. Picked him from a lineup. I know. You know, he literally picked him from a lineup of people. 
Yeah, I don't know why that was a change that we needed for some reason, but, you know, there's that. Yeah. It was odd. Um, So then Winston's walking around for whatever reason, and they're at a bar, and he sees people making out (laughs) in public. And I'm like, that's illegal. Like, no one would do that in the book. Yeah. So I don't know why that was included because you know what's even weirder in that scene? Those two kids that were making out after when Winston started to leave. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the two guards that came? Oh no, I didn't see that. No, two guards walked right past those two kids. Oh no, I did. They were adults though. They weren't kids. Uh, they were young adults, but young yeah. adults, but and they were doing an illegal act. Yeah. But the guards just walked right past them. I know. There's no intimacy allowed. You're not allowed to care for anyone. You're not allowed to care for your family, kids. You have to be forced to pick a wife, you know, or husband or whatever your preference is. And they just... They were just making out and the guards totally walked by. Like, they were in each other's laps. I know. I was so confused. Because it's like prostitution is also illegal. Like, it... That was your cover story, you know, so I don't understand what was happening there. You can't kiss at all, especially not in public. So I really don't understand. It was very confusing. Also, Winston did not have any mention of having a wife previously in this. You're right. He didn't. Yeah. Like that was supposed to, that was kind of a big plot point into the reason why him and Julia couldn't get married. Yeah. Um, even if they could convince people that they were not in love, you know, um, him, he doesn't have a wife. So I don't understand why they didn't just try and get married in this movie, but. Interesting. Yeah, I just thought that was strange. Um, so then Winston goes down to the parole sector and goes to the antique store and a kid's spy literally sees him walk in. Yeah. And it's like, he's not allowed to be down there. It's fully illegal for him to be down there. And the, a kid spy just sees him and he's like, well, whatever. It happens. And he knows the kid spy is there because yeah. the kid he looks spy at him. literally w- walks into the middle of the street and looks at him. Yeah. So I'm like, what? You would just, why? Why was that a thing? Was- and then, you know, so he goes into the store, talks to the shop owner like he did in the book. Um, talks about the room, sees the room, all that good stuff. And when he walks out, instead of walking into Julia in the parole section like he did in the book alone, she's hanging up posters and looks straight at him. Uh-huh. And I'm like, this is another weird change that didn't need to happen. Yeah. So apparently there's no bad end of town and they're allowed to go wherever they want now. Yeah, I don't know why. very weird and then we get this scene of him remembering that his mother was eaten alive by rats but he also didn't doesn't know if his mother's dead it's very weird like the whole rat thing yeah and i still couldn't figure out if that was him as a kid with o'brien seeing julia or if it was him as a kid seeing his mother and some man because i thought that was o'brien standing next to him it was very weird yeah it it gave it gave no it gave because it was 
at the beginning yeah it was just it was in a weird spot it seemed like it was supposed to be foreshadowing but it was so unclear that i wasn't sure what it was supposed to be symbolizing especially considering none of that was in the book yeah i was just like okay that's an image i have now thanks yeah so yeah it kind of leaves you wondering well what the heck is that about yeah why is that even in the movie yeah so then next thing i'm confused about winston's in his apartment situation and a helicopter is just hanging outside his window (laughs) stupid helicopter for what there's no helicopters in the book at all yeah first off second off they don't need a helicopter they have a telescreen in all the rooms of the house including the bathroom so like why is this helicopter a thing that's happening right now yeah it was very weird and it was just like hovering outside of his window yeah i'm like what's happening like why i mean i get if it's just a drive-by but the fact that it literally stops outside of his window and it does this on multiple times yeah it did it like twice i think yeah it did it twice yeah it was really weird it was just um and i don't know if that was supposed to be like a warning that they were watching him or what it was supposed to be but well i mean if if i saw that i'd take it as a freaking warning i'd be like crap they know about my journal but I didn't know if it was, like, a cue to the audience that he's being watched, but I feel like it was very clear that he was being watched already, so I'm not sure. A giant eight-feet telescreen didn't tell you that. <laughs> yeah, literally. I'm like, I think we got it, you know? But telescreen sitting there on the wall. <laughs> so then we get to see those kid spies, and their uniforms look like Boy Scouts <laughs> so much. Weird. They got, like, a little ascot situation happening very strange so um so then you know um they're showing the war criminals and we full-on see people get hanged and shot in this movie right in the head we visually see it happen and i just like they have bags over their head but like that's not much better like this movie's graphic it's very graphic and I feel like I should have known that going in, but I I did not think about it, to be honest. So I was kind of surprised. Yeah, no, I mean, it, even for us, like a lot of, even rated R movies for us, they don't do things like that. Like yeah. they, they take it away right before. Yeah. You know? So I figured they would do that. And they were like, nope, you signed up for this. You get to see it all happen. <laughs> And I was like, oh, did I sign up for this? I'm not sure I did. But okay. Yeah, but okay. We're going there. Um, so that was a thing. So Julia gives him the note. I I you know, we all know basically you listen to the last episodes. I hope this is in order so you know the movie i'm just hitting the big broad points that i feel like we need to talk about but you know julia gave him that i love you note. they met in victory square she passes in the letter so now we're at the train we're all caught up so he goes to get on the train and all i can think is this entire station is empty except one other man and that weird squad of baby soldiers that pass through and how is that not getting you caught? Like, right off the bat, 
if there's no one at the train station, that's a sign that you should quit while you're ahead. Like, you're in too deep now. And then you get into a train that's, like, shoulder-to-shoulder, jam-packed. Yeah. Where did all the people come from? Yeah. Like, why is the train station empty and then all these people are on the, you know, train? Uh I don't understand that at all. Yeah, no, it was oddly empty. Yeah. So... Then we get to the very first sex scene with Julia. And they did not get around with that. And as you mentioned, and we started vaguely, briefly talked about, not vaguely, but briefly talked about during the movie, they show her body completely, all of it, mm-hmm. but they do not show Winston's at all. Yes. And, they literally show her head to toe. Yeah. And, you know, they have the whole razor blades shortage, which in the book, everyone's talking about how they still secretly get razor blades from the black market. So no one's actually out of it, mm-hmm. but they have to say that they're out of it. And the books, uh, the movie seems like they only saw that they're out of razor blades and they made her completely unshaven, which I don't have a problem with a woman being unshaven. If that is how you prefer to go, fine. More the power. Thing I, yeah, I don't, you know, who am I to say what you should do with your body? You make your own decisions. What I have a problem with is that she is completely unshaven and they decided to shave this man's armpits. Mm-hmm. Winston's armpits are shaved. And he's completely hairless. Yeah, he's completely hairless except for the hair on his head. So I don't know what kind of sexist things going on here, but like Julia's whole body is shown and we only see Winston from like belly button up. Like we don't get any lower than the belly button except for one time when he's facing backwards, you get butt photo. But like still, I'm just like, buddy boy, what's going on? Why do you get to be clean shaven? Like, if she wants, because, you know, in the book, there's a big thing where she wants to be girly. She wants to wear dresses, all this kind of stuff. So I, and she wants to wear makeup and do all this stuff. But I'm like, why is he hairless? Like, I don't understand the director call there at all. Uh-huh. Like, I don't. It's confusing. I just, that was a weird take, a decision to make. And especially if you're not going to show him fully and uh-huh. you force show her fully, like not even tasteful nudes on his end, you know, like not doing like the Austin Powers things where there's convenient objects placed in the, to, in the way, in the way they didn't do anything like that. They were just like, well, just not show him. But like, here's naked lady, Julia. Uh-huh. And I just don't understand it. I really don't understand it. And then, yeah, I think, though, Julia as a character was a lot better here. Like, even she, even though she was not seen a lot. She was not seen a lot, but she was more, she had more personality in no, the she movie. Did. But, and I yeah. think that's because of her facial expressions. That's true. It did aid to it, but, like. It aided to her character. Yeah, I think so. But it's just weird. Like, I I don't even know. that The whole them doing it was odd. And I just didn't like it. It was, it happened very quickly. 
very quickly. He literally turns to her as they get there and is like, I want you. And then, boom, she's naked and they're doing it, which I had to witness. And of In course, a field like, of green. Yeah. And of course, you see her face the entire time, mm-hmm. which it just it feels sexist to me because they keep using her as an object continuously throughout the book and the movie. And it's like, as a director, you need to, I feel like take steps to correct that, to make her more of a well-rounded character. And they didn't. Well, back then, wasn't it like, I mean, I guess we have to take into consideration the times of when this movie was made. It was made 1984. So. I mean, I guess the 80s, yeah. The 80s are still women work from home, kind of. I mean, if you, even ish. if you think 80s female characters, they're mostly sexist. Isn't the Bechdel test, didn't that come out in the 80s in the comic oh, book? That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of me trying to think. I can't tell you. Hold that. on, let me Google that really quick. <laughs> so now I need to know. Ooh, Wow. Bechdel test created 1985. 1985. I'm not saying that that's a sign or a cue. I'm just saying that those dates are very close. (laughs) And Julia did not talk to a single other woman the entire time at all. And she was the, I think she was the only woman shown except for Mrs. Parsons. And the lady singing down. And the lady singing, you're right. But she's the only woman who had like any type of role in the book or the movie. Yeah, and like multiple speaking lines. Yeah. Even in the movie, you know, in the book, Miss Parson even spoke more. Yeah. In the movie, her only line was basically like, oh, Mr. Parsons had to stay late at work. That's literally her only line, where in the book, she talks a lot more. She has a lot more interaction with Winston. And the girl, the girl is the one who called him out in the book. Yeah. But in the movie, the boy calls him out. Yeah. Which is just a weird shit. Like the son we're talking about in the scene. Yeah. And the girl talks to So -hmm. there we go. Another kind of hint that females, you know, don't get many, you know, they're just supposed to stay quiet. Because even the girl in the movie... Mm-hmm. She said nothing. Yeah, she did not say a single thing. She did not say a single thing. I can spend so long talking about the sexism and symbolism in this movie, and I just I don't really want to because I feel like I've hit on it a lot. But at the same time, let me just say to go over all of it: the movie is sexist, the book is sexist. Both of them are terrible representations of femininity and um, women in general. And I'm going to just stop it there. I may briefly touch on it again because I can't help myself. But I'm just going to wrap it up by that part right there. Moving along. It's done. (laughs) Moving along. They then say um, Winston is attending a lecture. And they then say that, you know, orgasms will be extinct. And um, that, you know, they'll get rid of that. And then everything will happen through artificial insemination. Great lecture. 
great lecture. Um, of course, you know, as we briefly talked about on, there was no conversation of consent. Question that. for you. Oh, God, here we go again. I think in that scene. Yeah. When they're giving the lecture, mm -hmm. the audience only contained men. Julia was there. Oh, men and Julia. There? Yeah, because Julia. Julia. <laughs> yeah, Julia walked up to Winston, said he dropped something and handed him a note. That's the only reason I remember she's there, because they make eye contact once. And then the entire other rest of the lecture, I don't remember seeing a single woman okay. except Julia. Okay. So that was the thing. I honestly don't even know where to go on that topic. It's so weird. Like, it's thanks so for weird. holding a lecture to tell me about this. And of course, a man's holding the lecture. Of course. Because. Much like today, a lot of men get to make decisions on women's bodies. Um, but, you know, I'll just skate on past that, because otherwise I'm going to get sad. And, of course, it's the two of us, two women, discussing this part right now. So, um, <laughs> I'm speechless. Yeah, there's just... It's a lot to get into, and I don't want to bring this podcast into the modern day. Um, because it's going to hurt me. And so I'm just going to skip on over that part, but I'm going to say that I do not like it. And I hope that you all can read between the lines and guess my opinions on the matter. We're going to jump back into the time <laughs> 1984. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. So moving right along after artificial insemination, um, this is the point where, you know, Julia runs into Winston to pass him a note again. And she is so obvious about this. Like, so, they're so obvious. Like, it's bad. And I just, I don't understand. No, it's, it's, they're, both of them are very obvious. And everybody's interactions within this movie are just odd. Yeah, glaringly obvious. Yeah. Truthfully. Yeah. Um. So then... Winston, um, it flashes to him at home drinking a bottle of gin, and he scratches off the face of Big Brother. <laughs> and I'm like, first off, why? Second off, no, like you can't. Everyone just saw you do that. How? <laughs> here's <laughs> here's your exact words. Well, that's just not obvious. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Literally, I was so confused. I was like, buddy, you're supposed to be blending in here. And he's like, you know what? Forget that. I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm like, no, bad. Don't do that to yourself. Yeah. He's just, every action he does is obvious that he's trouble. Yeah. So then after that, they cut to Julia being completely naked okay. for some reason. Like, they don't allow Julia to be clothed at all for unknown reasons she just always has to be naked and i'm like why i don't know we're moving past the sexism we're moving past the sexism anyways <laughs> so he i make another note of you know him never being shown completely naked moving past that um we already are at 
you know, hate week prep very soon in this movie. People are sleeping on the floor and it's a brief thing. You don't even see hate week. You just see everyone working crazy. And then it's like, okay, that's over. Hit that plot point. Done. Uh-huh. Um, so then he has a flashback to his past of his room of like when he stole the chocolate. First of all, this isn't even a piece of chocolate. He stole half a chocolate bar from his little sister. Uh-huh. And I'm like, mm, okay. And then he runs away for a couple hours, you know, and he comes back to her and it's completely covered with rats. Like it's been abandoned for like months. Yeah. You know, I'm like, did you get lost? For He still had the chocolate <laughs> on his face. So it's not like he got lost for a month, but like there was so many rats. There's no way that's like an hour of being gone. That is like months of being gone. Uh-huh. So I do not understand. Um, so after that, Winston has the conversation with O'Brien about the uh, dictionary, all that good stuff. And he's at O'Brien's house. And, like, O'Brien still, I think, lives in an apartment situation. But it's really nice. It's not run down at all. Only Winston went. Julia yeah. Julia's was not, not there. there. And, yeah, that was my next note was Julia's not even there. Which, for what? Why did they cut her out? Like, why don't they allow her to be any part of the plot at all? It was so weird. And so, like, you know, he just goes alone to O'Brien's house and, you know, for whatever reason, they just were like, ah, we can't have two chairs in this office, I guess. So then he turns off the telescreen, O'Brien turns off the telescreen for literally like six seconds, doesn't mention the Brotherhood at all, and hands him the dictionary turns it back on and Winston leaves. Like there's none of that conversation about like all the things he'll do for the brotherhood that there is in the book, nothing. So that's a thing, I guess. And then he gets home and Winston immediately starts reading it in front of the telescreen. Uh Like bear in mind that it has the, you know, dictionary cover on it, but still it's, you know, they glued the pages together, kind of. Like, they were just sticking together. Like sticky. It was... Yeah, um, not necessarily glued, but they were, like, sticking together. So it's like, you would look at that as the party and be like, hey, that book is double the size. But, I mean, they already knew. The pages are thicker. Yeah. No. So, I mean, they already knew, but still. Like, it's just like... Winston should have been like, huh, you know, I probably shouldn't start reading this in front of the telescreen, right? Uh-huh. But, you know, he does. Um, so then we flash to him reading it to Julia in bed naked. And then they get arrested naked. And they carry Julia out of the room completely naked over their shoulder. She does not get to put clothes on anything they don't try and cover her up. They just carry her out naked. Right over the shoulder. Right over the shoulder. And, like, in the book, I'm pretty sure they were fully clothed. They were about to leave, right? Mm-hmm. So I was just like, why? Why is it there's this obsession with having Julia constantly naked in situations that she's not supposed to be naked at? Yeah. And in the movie, or in the book, don't they beat her up more? 
Yeah, they punch her in the stomach, throw her over the shoulder, and leave. Yeah, and they it. don't do a single thing to Winston at all. Nothing. I don't know. I just ah hate it. Okay, I can't. I can't keep talking about the sexism in this movie because I'm never going to stop talking about it. <sighs> Moving on. Moving on. So Winston gets arrested. And now, instead of him trying to put his hands in the pockets, he's trying to close his eyes, and they won't let him close his eyes? Uh-huh. For what? For what reason? Like, they let him sleep in the book. Yeah. Like, And then Parsons, instead of saying that he hates Big Brother, which in the book is apparently what happened, he said that apparently his kid said that he was an agent of Goldstein, which he didn't even know he was. And instead of just being like, oh, I'm so proud of her, you know, for turning me in. Um, Parsons is, like, crying in this one. Uh-huh. Which, I don't know, is a thing. And they didn't bring anyone else. And they gave Parsons all the lines of the starving man. Yep. And they sent Parsons to Room 101, which they did not do in the movie. Or the book, I mean. It's literally just him and Parsons. Yeah. In the book, there were other people. Yeah. Like, they basically try to convince us in this movie that, I don't know if they just had a low budget or what, but they try to convince us that all of the people that live in Oceana are the people that work at um, Winston's office, and that's it. That is the only people we see. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know. Um, But at least his daughter turned him in in this one, so the daughter does get a role. Not even a talking role. Not even a talking role. She just gets to be recognized that she's naughty. Or in this book's case. A good spy? I don't know. (laughs) So. They full on start torturing. Um, We get to see all of it. And they stretch um, Winston instead of shocking him for some reason. Um, he's being stretched, so at least when the torch is over, he'll be like five inches taller, I guess. <laughs> um, and then they stretch him, and then they flash to O'Brien holding Winston like a baby with no context. So weird. Yeah. And then they keep showing Winston like hallucinating this field behind room 101. And seeing Julia and seeing O'Brien for whatever reason. But he keeps having this hallucination. And I don't know why, like what the symbolism of that really is. But it just keeps happening over and over and over again. And I'm like, I'm tired of looking at this field. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, it was was very monotonous. Yeah. So then they start electrocuting Winston. As you do. And um, that's after O'Brien asks all his questions. Or he gets to ask O'Brien questions. And then O'Brien yanks a tooth out on camera. When he says that he's the last man. Keep in mind, as Winston's supposed to be completely like decaying and skinny, he just looks kind of like garbage. But he's the same size because they already casted a skinny actor anyways. The way they made him look like he shrunk is they gave him clothes that were too big for him. Yeah. Which really 
is obvious. It's very obvious that yes. that's how they tried to portray him losing weight. Yeah. Like, but the we clothes were knew, way too big. Yeah, but we already knew that he was skinny from the beginning. So it yeah. made yeah. no sense whatsoever. Like, they should have either had him, like, recorded those first and then had him gain weight and recorded the rest of the movie after yeah. or something because he just was really thin the entire movie yeah which did not make any sense so then we get to winston going to room 101 and we see the rats which these rats are absolutely gigantic <laughs> They're like the size of baby possums. Like I guess I've never seen a rat except the um a rat died in my car. Fun fact, I don't know if I ever told you that. Oh yeah. Um and then a the mechanic that worked on my car sent me a picture of him holding the dead rat next to him. So I've seen that, which was a giant rat, but I've never seen an alive giant rat, so I kind of forget that they're absolutely gigantic. But these rats were huge. Um, so then they hook the contraption to his face and he does the whole thing where he's like, do it to Julian instead of me, blah, blah, blah. But at least now we have more context for why he doesn't like rats, except for the one time that he yelled in the suit or the suite that he's renting out mm-hmm. because that was on- the only time they ever mentioned rats previous to that. You know, yeah. they, there was no real, um, indication of how deep his fear of rats had gone Mm -hmm. so that's why i never really understood that that was his greatest fear or whatever yeah and yeah that was the thing and then um he says that he loves Mm o'brien and that he loves big brother and then um you know they release him and he's having lunch, well, drinking like alcohol and chess. playing chess, I guess is better, at the Chestnut Cafe. And Julia comes, instead of him stalking her all over, she comes to see him. She is not looking at him with disgust. They, they say they ratted each other out. And then they says that they will, they, they both say that they would like to see each other again. Which I don't think it was... Like, that obviously didn't happen in the book. They basically were like, yeah, we're never going to see each other again. Like, forget this. Um, they were but, both like F.U. in the book. Yeah. But in the movie, they're like, it could be. Let's see each other again. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, like, supposed to be one of those things where it's, like, when you really know you're never going to hang out with that kid from high school that you were friends with, but, like, never spoke to you once high school happened. And you're like, we should totally hang out sometime. And then you never do. Like, I don't know if it was supposed to be, like, one of those situations, but it didn't feel like it, so I wasn't sure. And... Well, it doesn't seem like hanging out is something that people do here. Yeah. So I think the fact that they want to see each other again, it's it, to me, it was like, oh, so you're going to do the thing that got you put in room 101 to begin with yeah like okay makes sense yeah see the one person who you got in trouble with literally which would not have happened yeah let's see what big brother says about that yeah and she doesn't have a giant scar like she's supposed to have she's supposed to have a giant scar right by her face and she Mm -hmm. doesn't have that at all and she's missing her red sash which i'm guessing they've forced her to take off well yeah yeah um 
after you're found butt ass naked with a, a man butt ass yeah. naked i Literally. mean <laughs> and then Lin- winston listens to his own confession and then they announce the victory from um big brother over the war and then winston starts crying and says that he loves big brother and then the movie ends it's very weird yeah very 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 weird it was just it was way too fast and the things that they decided to keep and get rid of in the movie did not make any sense like there was no rhyme or reason no there really wasn't and uh, when we really when we say if you really want to know firsthand about everything read the book first yeah you really would be so lost with the movie because even in the beginning, like in the movie, they don't explain hate week. You Mm -hmm. just see a bunch of people shouting and screaming and putting X's up with their arms. You know, they don't explain the whole hate week. And same with when everybody's on sleeping on the floor, all you catch is like a two second glimpse of people sleeping on the floor. There's no Mm -hmm. explanation that, Oh, it work is busy because I hate week, you know? Yeah. There's no explanation to it. You just get these clips where it's like, okay, people are sleeping on the floor. What the heck is going on? You know? Literally. Like, it's just, I would be so absolutely lost. Like, even if I watched the movie years later, after not reading the book for years, I'd still probably be confused. Yeah. Like, like I just, it did not, the movie did not have, like, much of a plot in my opinion like it just it expected you to know what's going on without providing the context clues of what's going on pretty much it just gave you glimpses at certain points of the book yeah like it's it was literally okay here's the opening turn off okay here's the next scene turn off you know it was not like a movie where there's a plot you know Mm -hmm. you know you have movies that flow this thing was literally start stop start stop start stop you know, have you ever heard that thing that apparently um, George Lucas wrote Star Wars of just the battle scenes first and then went in and filled in the story later? Mm-hmm. I, it would be like if George Lucas never went back and filled in anything and we just had battle, 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 battle. Like, that's what this movie was to me. I feel like they did not get fluffed out. And it was only like an hour and 40 minutes so they had time to fluff out more of a storyline. Oh, absolutely. The amount of time that they spent listening to people shout and cross X's and the amount mm-hmm. of time that they spent having him just walk around the rubble and the amount of time they spent with him writing in the stupid freaking journal. Yeah. They could have used that time to throw in some extra fluff. Like, yeah. In the elevator when he was staring at that guy for like a whole three minutes straight. Yeah. Like the um, or when servant. him and Parsons was standing at the elevator. They literally pushed the elevator button to wait for it. You know, they're sitting there talking and then like three minutes or four minutes into their conversation, they just start walking down the stairs. Like, okay. Like there yeah. were so many points where they could have just not not done it and had more time to put towards actually giving the movie a plot. Literally. Literally, though. just doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. As we've noticed, I have not watched a lot of very popular movies or read a lot of very popular books. So, you know, 
maybe I just am not well versed enough, but I felt like this movie did not have much of a plot. But you know what? If you watched this without ever reading the books and you understood what's going on, let me know. Yeah. Let me know because I need to know. Um, yeah. So final thoughts. Good luck to anybody who reads it or watches it. <laughs> yeah, basically. May may you be able to complete it without losing your mind. I'm sorry, but it, it was very, very hard part. Some of the reading was very hard to get through, and the movie was pretty dang rough. Yeah. In my personal opinion. Same. Like, it, it was rough. Yeah. yeah, if you want to pay four bucks on Amazon Prime, you can watch it. It's a movie you can see with your eyes. Oh my god, I think... Oh shoot, sorry. I think I am like, my brain is totally dead after all that. <laughs> I know. Like, now I'm gonna go to sleep. <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, 1984! It was done in 1984! Published the year it was written. He's like, this will be an easy title. This will be an easy title. Done. <laughs> But, Nicole, if all the people on the internet want to find you on the internet, where can they find you? Oh, I am Scarlet Rose FL. That's Scarlet with two Ts. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Discord, and Twitch. And I will link all of that in the show notes so that you can find it and watch it and watch your live streams, which I've kept you from tonight. But, you know, in general, (laughs) you can watch those. Listeners. Thank you for listening and experiencing this with us. We will catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Barely Bookish podcast. If you want to find me, I'm at Barely Bookish on literally everything, or you can go to barelybookish.com slash connect, and that'll give you links to everything, including Twitch, TikTok, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think that's it. I'm basically on every social media platform, so if you're looking for me, I'm there. Um, If I'm not there, I'll get there. It is what it is. So that's... And we have our Patreon exclusive episode coming up April 2nd, so please be sure to check that out if you want some extra content. There is show notes, there's bloopers, there's a whole lot of good things on there, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. Plus, you get access to the Patreon-only Discord, so that's fun. If you want to subscribe, go head over to patreon.com. Also, we do live streams now, so if you want to watch me play a lot of fun games... Uh, head over to Twitch, and I'm at Barely Bookish on Twitch. But that's all I've got for you guys in this one. Our logo was designed by my little sister Sarah. Our theme song is from freepd.com, and it's by Raphael Crux. And I will catch you guys in the next episode where we will talk about sense and sensibility. Bye! <laughs>